world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. week, Diane answers a heartfelt listener email from a frazzled daughter in Fairfield, Idaho, who is feeling guilty about feeling guilty. Plus, what the sugar industry was hoping you'd never find out. And a new British study makes a connection between smoking and frailty in the elderly. Welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. I got an email this week from Sally from Fairfield, Idaho. And here goes. This is what she, she wrote. I just need to vent. I live an hour away from mom. A few years ago, I set everything up for her in an assisted living near me. She agreed to it. She went there with me, saw the place, sat down with the staff. It was all set up. It would have been good for both of us. She would not be alone, and she would be near me. Mom has Parkinson's, and she's had, she has bad episodes with it. And her, and her second husband passed away, and that's when we both decided she would move to this assisted living. Well, at the last minute, she changed her mind and decided she wanted to stay in her own home but she refuses help. So I run back and forth after working all day and all week, and I bring her meals, do her laundry, pay her bills, take her to the doctor, etc. Well, for some reason, she forgot to give me her phone bills for the last two months, and her phone was shut off. I didn't realize with everything I'm doing that I, did, that I hadn't gotten a phone bill in a while or that I hadn't paid a phone bill in several months. I also have a husband, children, and grandchildren who I want to be with, and when I finally do get to spend time with them, I'm so exhausted. Anyway, when I went to bring mom's laundry to her, she started screaming at me because her phone was cut off. How could I forget to pay her phone bill? Well, to make a long story short, I yelled back at her, which is something I never do. I left her home mad, being mad at her and she at me. And I feel guilty for not only yelling at her, storming out, but also for forgetting to pay her phone bill. As I'm writing this email, I realize how trivial this is, but I'm really at my wit's end. Is this normal? Sally, rest assured your feelings are normal. If you didn't react the way you did or, or feel the way you do, I'd say that that wasn't normal. You know, when you're doing everything for everyone, for your mom, your family, your job, something's going to give and you're going to break. You can't carry the load you're carrying and not forget something or not feel angry and frustrated. And expressing the anger is good. It's healthy to shout out. You know, you have to. It's okay, you know, for a time. But what we don't want to happen is for, you know, that anger to fe fester or to sap all your energy. Because then you're not going to be good to anyone. 
what I hear all the time from children caring for their parents is, I feel overwhelmed most of the time, or I have no time to care for myself, or, you know, watching someone you love deteriorate is more stressful than anything. And, you know, there are certainly differences in each caregiving circumstance. You know, dealing with a dad who has diabetes has different issues than dealing with a dad who has Alzheimer's. But really, the only thing that separates separates us as caregivers is the names of the diagnoses and the body parts that are affected. You know, when our parents start to deteriorate mentally or physically, we don't realize it, but, you know, we as children, we feel betrayed by things happening that are beyond our control. And we're trying to recreate normalcy. And normalcy is going to change. So what's normal today for you as a daughter and caregiver may not be the same a year from now or tomorrow, you know, or a week from now. You know, I I have a, had a physical therapist call me this week, and he was with um, a, a client of his where his uh, the father had a stroke, and his daughter came to stay with him. And um, his wife used to care for him, but she um, wound up in the hospital. She was his caregiver. So the daughter who lived far away came to, you know, stay with him. And the physical therapist is saying to me, this daughter is so wired. He goes, you know, I'm having such difficulty because she wants her dad. He had a stroke. She wants him to do what he used to do. And she wants him to, you know, be the way he was, he said, and I'm trying to explain to her, that's not going to happen. That's never going to be, he said, and she's just not getting it. So, you know, that we, we find we do that. We're trying to go back to what's normal and, you know, our normal is going to change. So for you, Sally, you know, it sounds like your mom and you have a good relationship. And I'm sure, you know, her not moving, her deciding not to move into that assisted living probably bothered you and frustrated you, especially after you did everything, you know, you did all that legwork and you did everything and the, you both made the decision to do it and then she changed her mind. So I don't know if, you know, you ever talked to her about that. You probably, maybe if you are still feeling, you know, bad about that because it would have been easier for you and, you and easier for her, you probably should start there and maybe talk to her. And you have to pr tell her, you know, that you can't juggle everything, obviously, because you say, look, you know, this is what happened. I didn't even realize, you know, I didn't pay your phone bill. So say, you know, I have a job and I have a husband, I have a family, you know, your children, uh, I have your grandchildren, your great grandchildren. So something's going to slip. So we have to come up with something that's going to work for both of us. Now, you know, I'm, you know, as far as her bills, obviously, I don't know, can she pay her own bills? You know, does she have a computer? Can, you know, your, your children or your grandchildren show her how to pay her bills online, you know, help her set that up, that'd be good for her. I mean, if she can't, and you, you know, maybe one of your children can do it or one of your grandchildren, um, you know, shopping, there's always d delivery services is does she have any friends that I don't know if she can get out with her Parkinson's that can take her out or, you know, take her out for a meal. There's obviously stores that deliver online. Um, she can, I know she she's resistant to help. And you know what, maybe you can bring that up again. Maybe she is 
will be a little less resistant to it. Or if she's still resistant, then she's not ready. You know, but there's laundry services. There's places, you know, that can um, prepare meals for her. You can, maybe you as a family with your children and, and grandchildren, maybe once a week you can go there. Maybe everybody can make things and take turns. You know, there's, there's different options, um, you know, and solutions. And, you know, you probably have thought of them, but it's just you want to do everything and you want to please your mom and you're in that cycle now where you just can't think and because you're doing so much. Um, and, you know, your mom, you don't really know how she's feeling now. She could be mad at herself because she's overburdening you, but she's not telling you that. She's taking it out on you. You know, you forgot to pay your phone bill. How could you do that? You know, we tend to um, take out our frustrations on the person closest to us. So she probably sees you're tired and that you're running ragged and she doesn't want that, you know, but she realizes she maybe can't do everything herself either. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard this and you realize this, that you have to take care of yourself. A lot of emails I get, uh, all the time are, you know, that we as children, you're taking care of your parents in some way, and it could be physically, they could have moved in with you and you're doing all everything you've, you know, you've quit your job and you're taking care of them, or it could be all the errands and different things you're doing for your mom. But, um, the thing is you have to take care of yourself because you're not going to be good to anyone. And, you know, by reaching out to me, you know, that that's a start by reaching out to someone like me, I can maybe tell you, you know, where to go for help, or um, maybe just someone to listen or say, try this or that maybe there are things that you didn't think of, because you're, you know, you're in that situation. And I know you've heard, you know, that you have to take care of yourself because caregivers are notorious for not taking care of themselves. You know, whether you're, uh, you know, a child taking care of a mom or dad or um, your spouse taking care of, you know, your husband or your wife. Um, I have a client who he takes care of his wife and he has a caregiver he hired through um, MedEx and she was taking a vacation and his wife has Alzheimer's and he just, he doesn't want to have someone else come in who someone else can come in, you know, to do the job that his normal caregiver does, but he doesn't want that. You know, he just wants this person. And if she takes a vacation, you know, takes time off, he says, no, I'm going to do it. You know, and I'll talk to him and I'll say, you sound terrible. Well, you know, I haven't been sleeping and I'm doing this and I'm not getting out and I'm not getting a break. And I said, but you need to do that. You know, you have to allow someone else to come in. And, you know, with his particular situation, his wife will allow someone, you know, because with Alzheimer's, it's a little tricky, but his wife will allow a different person to come in, you know, and take care of, um, take care of her. So, you know, I, I tell him you, you burn out what, what's going to happen. So how to, how do you Sally, you know, do for your mom and give to your mom without burning out? Well, you know, by taking care of yourself, you have to treat, treat yourself. You have to think about yourself, take time for yourself and you have to say no to certain things you do you have to be compassionate towards yourself. And that's hard. You know, we're so used to giving, 
we're, we always think of ourselves as last. You know, that's a hard thing to be compassionate towards ourselves. So you have to learn to do that. You have to say to yourself, you know, with the phone bill, we, we all make mistakes. You can't be so critical of yourself and harsh with yourself and beat yourself up. You know, I, I, I do the same thing to myself, but you have to, I try to think of, well, how would I, if a friend came to me and asked me that, how would I treat my friend? What would I say to them? And I'd say to them, you're not perfect. Look at all the things you're doing. You know, you have to take care of yourself. So that's one thing. You have to have social connections. You know, we, we always say that we need, we need a person to go to. We need that connection with somebody. We need that from birth to old age. And you don't have to be a social butterfly. You don't have to have, you know, 4,000 friends. You don't have to do that. But you have to feel connected to someone or maybe, you know, a group of people. But you have to on that, you know, on the inside know, okay, that's my go-to person. That's somebody I feel comfortable with. And, you know, that's the hard part when we're stressed because when we're stressed, we we turn inward, we turn and we look at ourselves and everything we think of is me, myself and I. So that makes us more miserable and more disconnected to other people. You know, when my mom was going through, you know, having her breast cancer and then my father with his heart and the ER, you know, my college roommates kept saying, we have to get together, we have to get together. And of course, we try to do that once a year and that never happens because there's four people with four different lives living in four different areas. But we tried to do that. And I was like, I can't do that. I don't have time. What am I going to, I'm not doing that. I, I'm like, I don't, I didn't want to go out with other people. I didn't want to be around other people. And I didn't want to be happy with other people. And that sounds weird, doesn't it? But that's what we do. You know, all I'm thinking about is myself, you know, and what I'm going through and I'm not thinking, hey, that would do me some good. And my husband's like, you got to go, you know, just go. And so, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Why are they even calling me to do that? Don't they know what I'm going through? And you know what? That's the time for them to call us. So we have to force ourselves to connect. And, and when we come back from the break, we'll continue with what else we can do as caregivers. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6 foot 4, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless-looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful, man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. 
Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. By the way, Lipstick Bodyguard makes a great Christmas gift for mom, dad, friends, children, grandchildren, co-workers, <laughs> your boss, anybody, your neighbor. Give it to everybody. It's a great gift. And we were talking about, um, Sally, what else we can do, you know, as caregivers. And I was saying you have to take care of yourself. Another way, you have to show, this is tough, show empathy and compassion towards someone else. And this is kind of counterintuitive, having empathy, because you're like, I have my own things going on. How am I going to help someone else with their own struggles? But, you know, when you truly connect with somebody else and you know, when someone else is struggling and you can help them, you can offer an ear, you can, you know, listen or offer advice or drive them somewhere or do something, you, you're, you become immersed in helping them and you find that reserve of energy. You know, you think, I don't have an ounce of strength left. I don't have anything to do. You know, I, I can't do that. But you do and you find that you know, you're kind of refreshed by helping someone else. I, I have a friend who is going through some health problems. And while I was going, you know, my dad with the his heart in the emergency room and everything, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, crazy and tired. And, you know, she was telling me, um, you know, the tests she was going through, et cetera. You know, and then I, I, I became immersed in, in her and trying to help her and saying, hey, you need a ride, you need this, anything. You know, so be compassionate or empathetic towards someone else. One of the greatest things, uh, one of the greatest things I can say is it's okay to ask for help. But, you know, you have to ask people for help in specific ways. So, because people don't know what to do. So, even your children, even your husband, even your grandchildren, you know, like I said, maybe you all can, um, maybe, you know, maybe your children can go over one night. I don't know how many children you have or how old your grandchildren are, but, you know, maybe you can take turns so that you're not going over every night or bringing meals twice a week or whatever, that you have some time for your yourself. So maybe other people can go and have dinner with her, bring her a meal, do do laundry, etc. Maybe there's a friend of hers who can take her out. But you know, you have to kind of ask people um, and tell them what you could use because people don't know, you know, we think that well, no one's helping me. But you know, it's difficult for people to imagine what it's like to be a full-time caregiver for their parents unless they've done it. And, you know, people think, oh, well, you just remind your, your mom of things. You know, they don't realize all the thousands of small things that you do for her, including, you know, anticipating her every need. So, you know, people, you have to tell them, you know, what they can do for you. And one of the things I say to 
you as a caregiver to ask people for is their time because that's you know maybe they can sit with mom you can run to you know uh, the store you can go to a movie you can do something that you want to do you can take time for yourself so time is a great gift to ask for or maybe um, you know, you can go have lunch or dinner with someone. So it's, you want to do something that, you, you know, you want to do. And of course, you have to take care of your physical, the physical things. You have to get enough sleep, enough exercise. Uh, I hope, Sally, I, I, I answered your question. Um, there's another uh, common caregiving problem that we all face, and I get asked this a lot as well. You know, when mom got sick, her friends stopped calling or coming by. So why does that happen? Because that's when she needed them the most. Or, you know, it not only happens to your mom, but it also happens to you as the caregiver. So what is it that frightens friends away? Because we think, wow, they're my friend, but then they just scatter. Nobody, you know, nobody bothers to call or, or maybe people do in the beginning, you know, and they maybe bring you a meal or they come by and then all of a sudden you don't hear from them. And, you know, it's kind of hard to, to think of that, but they probably see what could, could happen to them and their mother and father. And the picture is scary. So they turn away. They don't know how to react in our presence, what to talk about, how to be with us. So, you know, maybe mom isn't as cheerful as she used to be, or she's not as friendly, or maybe we can't do what we used to do. Maybe we used to just go out on the spur of a moment, you know, and do stuff, and we can't do that anymore. You know, it's hard. You know, we get engrossed in you know, our parents and their illness or, you know, what's happening. But nobody really wants to think about pain or disease or trauma. And that's exactly what people need to do if they're going to be a friend to us. So they have to put their fears aside, be empathetic and compassionate, and stop looking at themselves. But how do you tell someone to do that? You know, how do you say, listen, you know, now if a friend says to you, how, what can I do to help you? You know, then you can tell them, you know, if they're a close friend, but that's what happens. That's why people scatter. So, you know, if you've gone through this as a child, you know, if your mom, if you've gone through this recently with your mom or your dad, or you're going through it now, then you know, there's probably somebody out, else out there that's struggling that you can be a friend to them. And, you know, a big thing is don't forget to invite, you know, um, you as a friend, don't forget to invite them, you know, their mom and, and themselves, if their mom can get out, to a dinner or to a holiday party. You know, people sometimes assume that, you know, the person is too sick or you're too tired to come. But it's always nice to get that invitation because you don't want to take that normal away from them. So that's why people turn to support groups because those, you know, those people tend to, they can really understand because they're going through, there's so many different support groups for different il illnesses, you know, um, churches, people in church. So that's why people turn to those, those kind of people to be helpful. But remember to always ask because people don't know and people don't know how to react. And, you know, we don't, we don't think about it, but... 
you know, you could have a friend who isn't experiencing anything with their parents right now, so they don't know, really know what you're going through. But, you know, if they say you can call me anytime or we can talk or let me take you to lunch, then that's, you know, what, what you want to try to do. And if they say, well, what can I do for you? Then you want to be honest and you want to tell them. I found an interesting thing, just a, a side note, on the sugar industry. So there's a new report that adds to the growing pile of evidence that the sugar industry isn't that sweet. So analysis of these internal documents that were revealed 50 years ago, saying that the sugar industry buried scientific research that points to sugar's negative health, negative health effects on People. So in the late 1960s, the Sugar Research Foundation funded animal research to study how sugar affects cardiovascular health. Preliminary results suggested sugar consumption was tied to both bladder cancer and elevated levels of triglyceride fats, which can increase a person's risk for heart disease. So the group scrapped the study without publishing the evidence. Huh. <laughs> I read a study um, that was published in the Scientific Journal of the British Geriatric Society that um, said smoking is linked to frailty in older adults. And it reminded me of a client I have. She's 83 years old and she has COPD and she is on oxygen and she still smokes. And when I drive up to her house, she's sitting outside smoking. <laughs> she has the, you know, the cannula off with the oxygen tank and she's smoking and she'll say to me and uh, her visiting nurse, I still don't feel good. I just feel weak. And I just, you know, I just, I just don't feel right. I'm always tired. And we're like, because you're smoking, you know, and the nurse is like, the nurse is writing, you know, in her chart, patient still smokes, patient still refuses to quit smoking, patient states she feels weak. So, you know, this we're telling her this could be why. So uh, in this study, they found that um, older people who still smoke increased their risk of developing frailty. And they found that former smokers did not appear, appear to be at a higher risk because, you know, smoking does increase the risk of developing COPD, coronary heart disease, stroke, and peripheral vascular uh, disease. So, and they have negative effects on people physically, psychologically, and socially. So, um, what they said was frailty is considered to be a precursor to disability. You know, and how they look at frailty is um, you can have, uh, they looked at five components of frailty, uh, unintentional weight loss, self-reported exhaustion, which she has, weakness, which she has, slow walking speed, which she has, and low physical activity, which she has. And how they classify frailty as having three or more of those criteria. So um, what they, you know, find, what their study concluded was that current smoking is a risk factor of developing frailty. And also that additional analysis revealed that COPD seems to be a main factor on the, on the causal pathway from smoking towards frailty. But those who quit smoking did not carry over the risk of frailty. So if your parents smoke, we have to get them to stop smoking. So there you have it. <laughs> and my survival tip of the week. Express your thankfulness to someone you are grateful to have in your life. Take a few seconds and tell them how you feel. 
This will make their lives happier. And as they light up with a smile, you'll feel happier too. If this week's show was helpful to you or you know someone who would be helped by it, please tell them about it. They can subscribe to the show using iTunes. You can find links to the topics we just talked about in the show notes for today's episode. Episode 36 at parentsarehardtoraise.org. Please do me a favor. If you like the show, please go to iTunes and Google Play and rate the show. And please give us a five-star rating. That helps raise awareness so other people can find the show. I would really appreciate that if you can do that. I'm here to help you. So please tell me if there's something you're struggling with. Please email me at dianaparentsarehardtoraise.org. You can reach me through my website, dianeberardi.com. And you can follow me on Facebook at Parents Are Hard to Raise. And I tweet at Jersey Elder Care. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a counterfeit media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music LLC, New York, New York, under license of Broadcast Music Incorporated. Thank you so much for listening. See you again next week.